0: This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. Welcome to the Power Sports Podcast. I'm Jason Baffery, and I am depressed, and I'm... P- Fortunately, I have Eric Colvin here to to lift my spirits up. That's right. What are we depressed about today? Well, I don't know if you've heard the news, but news came out last week, at the end of last week, after we had recorded our previous show, that Victory is closing its doors. Victory Motorcycles, uh, they are going to stop manufacturing as of right now. (laughs) And if not quicker, if not quicker and and stop making motorcycles victory, of course, owned by Polaris, uh, who is also the parent company of Indian motorcycles, and uh, they have decided to put all of their eggs in the Indian basket, apparently.
1: Well, that uh, to me, it seems a shame that they would do that. Like we talked about before, it seems that Indian has hit the ground running and apparently that marquee is
0: growing faster than than the victory marquee has apparently and i didn't even realize this that but uh, victory only had like three percent of the market in their entire existence that's the best that they've done and then indians only been around well since polaris has brought them back to life only for a couple of years and they're already at somewhere around 15 or 17 percent of the market share which Obviously would be pretty good and, and it's pretty outstanding for Indian to to achieve that in two years, but that was the death knell for victory but I happen to really like victories and and had a victory and enjoyed those motorcycles a lot and I'm sad to see them go. I wanted to see them get more involved with uh, motorsports they had recently become involved with the NHRA and I'll be curious to find out how that's going to affect uh, Matt and Angie Smith. Who have ridden Victory Gunners for the last two years, and then the new team of Corey Reed and Angel Sampe, Uh Team Liberty Racing had announced that they were going to be riding victories this year, and so now I wonder if what that does to uh, their plans. Now Matt and Angie already had victories, probably the parts and everything. I don't know if they'll continue to run those, even though that the factory isn't around to support them and maybe they will be i mean it did say that victory was going to i think for 10 years like honor their warranties you know still have parts available and things like that so maybe they'll be able to continue to support the racing efforts that they started but at least for a team that's already in existence with their parts and pieces but i would be shocked if team liberty racing would be able to come out with fresh brand new equipment from a victory standpoint at this point now that brings to mind an interesting question do they become the first Indian motorcycles in HRA Pro Stock bike team? Would Indian do that? You know, Would Polaris shift their focus there? That could be really interesting and something I'd like to see, but uh, who, who knows? I mean, there's certainly been no news that I have seen about that. But On those race motors, it could be that they just changed the sticker. Uh, well, that's very possible, too. Everybody's running either a Buell or a Harley or a Suzuki at this point, so... You know, the victory engine, I think, would be vastly different. So, unless they were using some other kind of just nondescript V twin. Uh, you know, pretty sure they wouldn't be getting Harley motors. Uh, well, in fact, we know that nobody's Nobody. getting Harley, Harley motors. motors. Uh, you know, there might be a Buell or something undercover. I don't know. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, that's really the only racing efforts that Victory had uh, aside from their Pikes Peak Hill Climb run last year with the Victory, ever popular Victory electric motorcycle, which I tend to think might have a little something to do with them going out of business because they invested all of their money in a worthless racing electric, electric motorcycle bike. that nobody's ever going to want to buy uh, because nobody really wants electric motorcycles, at least that I've ever met. No, I don't want one, no, <laughs> not, not even. So, you know, that's just my own speculation that the electric motorcycle motorcycle, Racing Pikes Peak was the uh, was part of the death knell for victory.
1: Well, let's not also forget that they ran an electric bike at the Isle of Man. Yeah, no, did they? Yep, they ran an electric bike at the Isle of Man, and then. But that was the. Isn't there like a whole specific electric event? Well, there is now. At that time, it was the only one, and it ran out of it ran out of electric before the race was over. Uh, I'm shocked. (laughs) <laughs> now that I've said it, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I know in practice they had trouble keeping it plugged in because if anybody's they didn't have ever an
0: extension cord long uh, enough to run to run distance, that,
1: yeah, the guy couldn't plug in the next one quick enough to get it around there. But it would, you know, at the Isle of Man, the motorcycles leave the ground a lot. Yeah. Okay. And they hit pretty hard when they come back down at those speeds, and they kept unplugging stuff. And it wouldn't stay plugged in. It would go dead. Then they would find a way to get it all plugged back in. And then the batteries went dead. So it was a a beautiful run. (laughs) Yeah. Well, nevertheless, uh, we're sad to see Victory go. I'm sad to see him go in a lot of ways. But it seems a little risky business-wise, even though Indian is real popular, that they would put all their eggs in one basket, as far as that goes. Well, you
0: didn't like Victory, so.
1: Not a lot of their styling. I liked a few of their bikes. But for the most part... I liked their motors. I liked the dependability of the motors. I liked the power of the motors, yeah. but not so much in some of their styling. See,
0: I loved the styling. I loved the motors. I mean, they made a lot of power. Uh, if you put one of those next to a stock other V-twin that was made in the northern North American yeah, they were area, uh, they would run really well. Uh, And had a bigger cubic inch for a long time up until recently. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I and I just thought they were a well-made motorcycle. You know, Arlen and uh, Corey Ness, the Ness family was involved in in some of the styling there and did some really cool custom bikes based on the victories and the, you know, the higher end uh, factory customs uh, or the Ness signature line for the victories I thought were pretty cool. I can tell by the look on your face that you did not appreciate those. <laughs> you, you really liked those Battlestar Galactica tour bikes, didn't you? No, well, now, when you talk about the Vision, that was something uh, completely different. Blurry Vision. Yeah. Now, what I did like about the Vision is that it was so radically different from what you'd come to expect from a full tour bike. A full dresser Harley. A, a Harley Ultra Classic you know, has a classic look that, you know, it, it. it is what it is. And when you thought of a big touring bike, you either thought of that or a gold wing, and a gold wing was a little more futuristic. But when Victory came out with a vision, I mean, I liked the fact that they were willing to take a chance and do something vastly different. Now, that being said, I didn't exactly see a lot of them on the road, uh, but I did see some you know and they looked and i'm sure they were comfortable and i you know if i wanted a bike like that i might have even thought something now victory did come out a little a couple of years later and they came out with a cross country and and all of that where they had more of a um what you would call a classic styling to their baggers and which i thought you know the the victory cross country and they came out with that magnum that was kind of like a custom um, yeah version of the cross country you know equivalent to a street glide and i thought that was a really cool looking motorcycle it was a little swoopier than a than a street glide and with so many street glides out on the road i mean you could get a a bike with a full fairing and bags on it and you know look a little different on on that cross country because there weren't as many of them on the road obviously because victory only had three percent of the market well
1: and it seemed like that their advertising and marketing was a little lax too yeah, I
0: can't say that I have ever seen that many TV commercials or, you know, I would see some online ads. But, of course, I went to the Victory website to, to look at stuff from time to time. So that's probably why I got, you know, I got cookies and uh, not cookies from Victory, but, you know, computer cookies. i explo- chip. trying on- to explain to these old guys how this technology <laughs> works Um I'm talking about Eric, not those of you that are older that are listening, because I know you're smarter than that. <laughs> Nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Will they do more with Indian from a racing standpoint? Of course, they're involved in uh, AMA. I'm sorry, American Flat Track. I'm going to keep doing that for a while. I still call it the AMA, <laughs>
1: and people correct me all the yeah. time.
0: Uh, so American Flat Track, we'll see the, the debut, uh, the full season debut of a full factory team here in just a few months in 2017 so will indian get involved in other forms of racing will they pick up uh, where victory left off in nhra pro stock motorcycle racing that all remains to be seen as far as a dirt
1: track goes i don't know that there's been a manufacturer that has had such a strong presence so quick as indian motorcycles has this year and last year
0: well they have certainly done a good job getting the pr machine behind them they kind of started the wave of this new look of flat track racing with the change from ama pro flat track to american flat track the new rules package uh the new format for the races and uh you know that all that kind of got kicked off with the announcement that Indian motorcycles would be entering into flat track. And so now we have this huge uh, attention gathering machine with all of these changes going on. And now you have the the battle of the American made brands for the first time since the I can't remember the exact date, but I mean, it's been it's 50, been the 40s. Anyway. Year, yeah, the 1940s, since Indian went head to head with Harley Davidson in flat track racing and that's back when you know flat track racing was was really getting started and getting gaining in popularity until you hit the kind of the golden era of the the late 60s and the 70s
1: yeah and i'm interested to see how they take all of this attention that they've brought to themselves and rightly so because they've done a great job with it and they've also hired the best of the best to ride their equipment so you know, there's a lot of pressure on those teams to perform, although to date they've performed well, Yeah. and the motorcycle development has come along really fast, and the reason for that is the, the design and development engineers that they've chosen and crew chiefs and mechanics that they have with that racing team. Um, they've probably got one of the best, if not the best, racing packages for 2017 right now.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, and I'm sure they're ready to come out with uh, all their guns blazing, and they've got the defending champion on their motorcycle. Well, the last two defending champions on their motorcycles now, and that's the only kind of drawback for me, you know, as a fan looking at it. You want to see, you know, your two best guys going at it, and and I'm sure we will. But it would be cool if. You know, one of them were on the Harley, and the other on the Indian. You know, if Jared Mees were stayed on a Harley, and Brian Smith went to Indian, and then you've got your last two champions going head to head on this, you know, classic American uh, brand battle. I mean, that would have been fantastic. But you know, I think they they decided to uh, go ahead and stack the deck a little bit and hire the last two champions to ride their their bikes. And uh, I'm I'm saying that, you know, not. Uh, trying to omit brad baker who is is pretty good in his own right he is and i tell
1: you what this is my view my view is that for 2017 we're going to see the this is going to be the year of the underdog i think i think we're going to see some guys that have been in the background come to the forefront now yeah like who well i think pearson's probably going to be one of those riders Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I really look for for Pearson to, to come to the front. Um, you know, again, like you said, I think Baker is going to have a really really good showing this year. Yeah, I think that there's a few other guys that that may show some promise depending on their equipment and their ability to come and to ride.
0: Well, and you've got Davis Fisher coming into his second year with the Harley team, and uh, I suspect he's going to improve, and, and maybe we'll see that big Harley Indian battle between Davis Fisher, who is—I mean—I think he's just a really great rider. Obviously, he did well in GNC two, and then made the move, and but you know, on a, a brand new motorcycle that hadn't been tested. So with the Harley XG seven hundred and fifty, so to say that his first year, you know. He struggled because he was a rookie. I don't know. Maybe he struggled because it was a new engine combination, and and they're testing that and working through all of that. And he made a couple of good showings, but I expect that he's going to be much better in 2017 than he was in 2016. Yeah, exactly. And what a lot of people haven't considered
1: is the amount of pressure that was put on him. He was fresh to the GNC ranks, and he was on an untested engine platform, and he was part of a huge development program, and I think
0: all around he did a really good job last year of riding. Well, it's going to be an interesting year, and we're just a couple of months away from getting started with the American Flat Track Series in 2017, and they'll kick it off with the Daytona TT for the Which first time.
1: Which seems odd, doesn't it? Use, it? was always been the short track. Yeah. It always started with the Daytona short track at the Municipal Stadium, and that was that was almost like the beach you know when they ran on right. the beach at daytona and it it just seems odd and strange but who knows change sometimes can be good
0: yeah and i think that just the fact that they're going to be able to run them inside of daytona international speedway I mean, what that does for flat track racing is going to be tremendous, especially to start off the season. I mean, you've got bike week going on. I mean, the NASCAR has just been there to run the Daytona 500. You've got uh, the 24 hours. You've got all that. and Now you have, you, of course, you have the Daytona Supercross that, that takes place in there as well uh, that same week. And now you've got the, the premier stars of flat track racing and you know these great brands and the great brand diversity that they're bringing into 2017 now in the the pinnacle of American motorsports i think bringing it into the into the arena was was a good move myself yeah it's going to be exciting to watch i wish we could go and if any sponsors are out there would like to send the power sports podcast to daytona for bike week and so we could cover the flat track race and the supercross live and in person just send us an email at powersportspodcast at gmail.com
1: well yeah hook just, you up just get your american express out and let's go <laughs> surely somebody would like to hear us live on location yeah somebody out there has got to you know have pockets and say, hey, let's go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's been a lot of other news that has come out uh, this past week and and specific. We, we don't get into a lot of politics, but we have to right now because there's some news that has come out that – and this is really bizarre, um, but there's been a lot of talk about it. There is the United States Trade Representative, and there is apparently – A ban on growth hormones in uh, the beef that the U.S. exports to Europe. Europe put a ban on some of the hormones that U.S. ranchers use in their beef. And so that creates a problem for the U.S. exporting beef. Well, to combat that apparently the United States trade representative has come out with a plan that includes a tariff on European made small displacement motorcycles that would be 100% (laughs) 100% a 100% tariff that would be on European made motorcycles imported to the US so that has created a little bit of concern because obviously, if you ride, oh, a KTM, KTM, or Husqvarna, or Beta, or uh, Gas Gas, yeah, um, Sherco. But I think certainly the you know the motocross world, you know, four fifties and two fifties would probably get hit by that. Plus, all of the little bikes for your, for your kids. That is going to increase the cost of. Uh, those European brands, which a lot of people like. uh, Myself included. Yeah, exactly. uh, Considerably. So we've done a little bit of research on that, and we don't know what to think. And I tend to think on what I've read, it's a little bit of saber-rattling, hopefully. Apparently, this plan of this tariff has existed for a while, and they just bring it out every now and then, like the beef industry comes to the United States trade representative and says, hey, you know, we're tired of this ban on the growth hormones in Europe. We need to do something. And here's this plan to tax motorcycles or put this tariff on motorcycles, which why in the world would somebody think to put a tariff on motorcycles in regards to the beef industry? What in the world is going on? And who are these people that get put into these positions and I don't even know what the United States Trade Representative, if that's an elected – I assume that's some sort of appointed, appointed position, position or yeah. paid position. Um, but good grief. It, the What's motorc- happening with this world?
1: The motorcycles have always been a soft target, and it seems like that they don't want to pick on a car industry. You well, yeah. know, we can't double the tax on our Mercedes and our BMWs because that's probably what they drive. Exactly. So let's pick on a soft target, and we're back to the motorcycles again.
0: If there's any good news or at least hope that comes out of this, it's that, uh, again, we think that it could be saber-rattling. Um, this plan has been around for at least 18 years, and I guess they, they first talked about it back in 99 and then again 10 years ago, and it's never been implemented, but the beef industry has requested a, um, a meeting with the United States trade representative to reassess this and try to encourage them to place this tariff, again, on European motorcycles uh, to combat the ban on the beef and the growth hormones. But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to happen. Just because the beef industry asks for it doesn't mean that it's going to be implemented. Now, the AMA has put out some news about that, and they also have a place that you can go online to find out uh, about that and voice your concerns, which you have until January 30th, to do that um you could probably find that just by going directly to the AMA website or when we post the show if you're listening to the show now go to oklahomatalking.co and look for the show under power sports podcast and we'll put the link for it uh on the page where the show is so if you're listening to us on iTunes go to oklahomatalking.co click on the show and then in there we'll have some stuff and we'll put the link in in with that as well so you can go and voice your opinion to how ridiculous this tariff would be on motorcycles to help the beef industry. Yeah, we need all the riders
1: out there to speak up, log on, tell them how ludicrous this is. In the past, a lot of the voices from the consumer side of the power sports industry has been a little lax. And from the turnout from our last election, it seems like that people are a little more willing now to step up and to speak their mind. So I would encourage them to do that if you have a motorcycle, ride a motorcycle of any kind, any size. Doesn't matter if it's Japanese, Chinese, European, American, whatever. Cause here's the deal. They start with that and they get their foot in the door and it's a talk about trickle down effect. You know what runs downhill. And once they get their foot in the door with that, if it's not saber rattling, then it's going to trickle down to other
0: areas in the industry or we can just hope let's all make america great again <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and maybe this won't get further than uh, than our new president so and if, i don't even know if he has anything to do with
1: the th- closest i've ever th- seen th- is he was on an episode of american choppers and they built him a bike for an auction
0: I meant with the United States Trade Representative. Oh, okay. I I don't know if he even knows what's going on over there. Who knows? Keep your eyes on that. Go to the AMA website, as Eric mentioned, and uh, log your opinion on there, and let's get this thing stopped before it goes any further. Don't be easy on them. No, don't. Because all politicians need to hear your voice. Yeah, period. Right. That's why I said that. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So moving on, we have, uh, we had a little supercross action this past weekend, and we have more coming up this coming weekend. Uh, but the San Diego supercross was a very exciting event. Once again, if you didn't see, uh, Anaheim, Ken Roxon kind of ran away at Anaheim, but he did not get quite so far away at San Diego. Defending champ Ryan Dungy put up a great fight. Actually, Dungy got out to the lead early, and then Roxon was able to get around him, but Dungy trailed him for the whole race. Now, the two of them pulled away and just left everybody behind. The margin at the finish was Roxon and Dungy, and then 16 seconds later, Everybody else came up, came across. I and mean, Marvin mooscan a uh, great job for Marvin mooscan who wound up third on the podium for the second week in a row. Of course, the podium was exactly the same as what it was in Anaheim. But I think that that doesn't tell the full story. Dungy looked a lot better than he did. Not that he looked bad at Anaheim. He didn't. Uh, it was just Roxon got so far ahead so quickly that nobody had anything for him. But this time, Dungy stayed on his bumper. Uh, they had some battles. And, uh, you know, I think we're in for a good, good battle between those two in 2017. Now, there's some other guys that may be really, really scared at this point, uh, because we're, we're two weeks in and they, they're seeing what these guys are doing and the pace they're setting. And it's gotta be disheartening to go through the last several months of working out and doing the road work and running motos and, and thinking that you've got it all together and then seeing those two guys come out and put 16 seconds on the field. So, and from Muskan, who trains with Dungey, and I mean, he's been with him every week. I mean, you'd think that he would be able to keep up right there, but um, man, they're they're just at a whole other level right now. Uh, now, Jason Anderson on the uh, Rockstar Husqvarna was fourth, and then Cole Seely, Raxton's teammate with Team Honda HRC, was fifth, and then Eli Tomac was sixth. And so Tomac fell down a spot. Uh, from Anaheim to San Diego, and I don't know if he suffered the same issue. We we talked about him having an arm pump at Anaheim, and I haven't heard if that was the issue or if it was just, you know, Anderson was looking good. I mean, Anderson was riding really good. Uh, won a heat race, even, and uh, you know, I think he might have something for for those other guys. He, he I, I expect to see him on a podium, uh, if not, maybe take a win. You know, if Roxon and Dungey have an off night, and certainly Anderson and Muscan are are there waiting, and I think have this overall the speed to um, to take a win. Well, let's
1: talk about this battle here. So, how clean was it? Very clean. Was it?
0: Yeah. yeah. They were just pushing each other really hard. Yeah. I mean, they were just running at an unbelievable pace, but uh, everything was clean. I mean, they were never – you know, Dungy was right behind him, but never really got in a position – the only time he got in a position to make a move was on the last lap, and he made just a little bitty bobble, and that was enough to kill kill some time and not get him into the right position to be able to try to put a pass on Roxon. Um, but aside from that, you know, he just kind of paced him the whole race, and you know, Roxon came in when he got around Dungy. You know, he Roxon was so unbelievable in the whoop section on that track. He was like a complete animal compared to everybody else. It was it was amazing to watch him hit the whoops. He was so smooth and so fast, and and you think about you know riders of the level of Ryan Dungy and. And the other guys that are out there, and, I mean, Roxon made Dungy look like, you know, it was the first time that he had hit the whoops. A N- little bit of an exaggeration, but, I mean, no, I mean Dungy was, was good through the whips, but you could see that he was struggling just a little bit, and Roxon was just blasting them. I mean, he had so much speed coming into him that he was able to carry through. It was just really impressive.
1: Should have got off and hugged a suspension tech.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, because that bike looked like it was set up perfect for that section. So uh it was good. It was a good race, it was fun to watch. You know, there were other guys, you know, we've talked about Cooper Webb, his rookie season. He wound up fourteenth. He you know, he was he was picked to potentially come out and win Anaheim or one of the first two races, and now he has really struggled in the first two events and uh I don't know if it's just mental or if it's adjusting to to the bigger bike or the setup, uh, maybe a little bit of all of those things, but uh, you don't want to say that he's been a letdown. And I expect that we will, before the end of the season, I still think that we will probably see him win a race and certainly up battling in the top five. And I think it's just going to take – it's just taking him a little longer to get things figured out and get maybe his nerves calmed to be in the big class and be racing, you know, maybe to be on his – the same team as chad reed i mean we talked before that you know in an interview he said reed was his hero so that's got to be kind of cool but i imagine you know they probably have completely different setups on their bikes so i don't know how much crossover there is there um you know a lot of interesting things to take into consideration but
1: uh a lot of pressure for the new guy right yeah and i think it'll be fine it's just two races and it's his first year with the team and they're not going to 86 him anytime quick. And oh,
0: no. I think he's in He's in for the long term with Yamaha. I mean, they put, sure. all, put their eggs in his basket to carry the torch when, uh, you know, Chad Reed finally decides to retire, whenever that will be. And that could be, you know, another two years. But um, I could see Chad ride another two years. I think, you know, I think if he has a decent season here in 2017 uh, and and doesn't get hurt, then I, I absolutely think – I mean, I think he still has the passion and and he's still working hard and he again he finished in the top ten. Now I know he wants to be in the in the top five. He wants to be on the top of the podium. I mean he's just that kind of guy. Well sure. And you know, and I think he still has the the skill to potentially do that and I think he's probably in shape and the field is so stacked this year. I mean there are so many good riders that it's just it seems to me that it just seems like it's going to be a lot harder to earn those positions on the podium and even the top five, because uh, you look at who the top five have, have been the last couple of weeks. Well, you take any one of those guys and put them against you know a guy that's further down in the top ten. If they they have a an, 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 if you put them in a drag race per se, and they have like an your even, Red Bull drag race, yeah, they have an even start. Then you know Davy Millsaps and Eli Tomac are going to be able to run together. I sure. mean, they're both that good. But Millsaps Saps is back in the in the bottom half of the, the top ten. There's also a
1: lot to be said when they line up that many guys and funnel them into turn one, right?
0: Well and that's you have all, yeah. all that carnage.
1: <laughs> and then you get behind guys and you have to get yourself collected and whoever got the whole shot and come out of turn one clean has got an open track, and there's a lot of stuff that holds somebody up and holds them back and uh, shows a lot of exaggeration at the end, like you said, 16 seconds. I mean, that's like yeah. being in another
0: county. Yeah, and I have to apologize. I say Davy Millsaps was in the bottom half of, the, of uh, the top 20, but he was he actually finished eighth. So another good ride for Davy Millsaps, and again, there's a guy that really is capable of, of winning a race sure. who's finishing eighth. Uh, it, you know, and Chad Reed was ninth. So, I mean, you've got two superstars there that are at the bottom half of the tap, top ten, and uh, but are capable of winning on most nights. I mean, you look at Chad Reed, and, who went to Australia and won both nights of the race down there. Uh, of course, comp- you know, a little bit different situation and circumstances and competition, but, I mean, you know, he can win. Davy Millsaps is coming off of a ca- Canadian National uh, Motocross Outdoor Championship, and – you know, so he's a guy that's still winning. Sure, and uh, he's just, more than capable of winning. Yeah, so I think you've got you've just got some great guys. Justin Bogle, pulling on the Oklahoma connection from uh, Cushing, uh, Bogle finished tenth, and uh, I think we what we looked at, he finished twelfth in Anaheim. So he's you know yeah. top ten you know with his new team RCH Suzuki, and uh, you know new bike for him, and so I think he's he's off to a great start you know, switching from Honda to Suzuki, which are two completely different motorcycles, two completely different setups, brand new team for him, you know, and a team that is, uh, you know, obviously a very well-supported team. They are now f- pretty much officially the the factory Suzuki team with the help of Yoshimura. And, uh, of course, Roxon won the outdoor national championship with them, so you know they've got good bikes. And, uh, you know, so Bogle... He's a, a talented rider, former 250 Supercross champion, so he should be capable of being up there in the in the top five and fighting as well. Now, speaking of former 250 champions who are capable of getting up there and fighting, we are going to see your 2016 250 East champion Malcolm Stewart make his debut on the 450 at the Anaheim 2 Supercross, and uh, he's put together a deal and has a Suzuki. And has some support from Ride365.com, and he is ready to get out and race. And uh, the th- thing that I found interesting, and I just uh, – I guess it was MX Vice did a, a, a an interview with him, and uh, – asked where he got the bike, and it's not a factory bike. Uh, he had basically a stock bike, and he's been going around trying to get the parts and pieces and was able to go to Yoshimura and got some help with the engines. But the bike came from a local dealer down there and, I guess, Seven uh, Motocross Gear, which you know his brother started. Uh, they sponsor a young rider down in the area in Florida, and it just turns out that his dad owns a Suzuki dealership there in town and uh helped Malcolm out with the bike. And so so he said well this kid's getting seven gear uh for the rest of his life. Uh, well sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I would imagine but how cool is it that a local dealer is getting involved at
1: that level because you haven't that hasn't happened in several decades more than three well anyway here, here's
0: the interesting thing i mean he didn't even now. i don't know if this was a faux pas on malcolm's part in the interview or just the the arrangement or, or or how any of this works i don't know but i mean he didn't mention the dealership name or anything like that so it's i i don't even know that it was like a hey you know you talk about my dealership and i'll give you the bike kind of thing surely it is but you know i think he just wanted to help malcolm out because malcolm you know seven mx is helping his son out and he's like here you know take a bike which sounds like a great deal that's an excellent deal (laughs)
1: somebody would be stupid not to jump on that
0: for sure absolutely but uh, it'll be interesting to see what malcolm can do now apparently he hasn't done any testing on the bike has done no suspension testing they're basically going in blind i don't know who he's got crewing for him or who's setting up the bikes i was surprised to see that I mean, they're getting an 18-wheeler wrapped uh, with Ride 365. So I don't know what's going on there beyond that. I mean, we haven't heard that news, but uh, it's good to see Malcolm. I mean, at the beginning of the year, they were talking about, he was saying that he'd be out in a Sprinter van. So obviously, he's put something together to get an 18-wheeler. And I don't know if that's something that maybe Ride 365 just had sitting around. Now, I think they helped the uh, Crossland Motorsports team out. Uh, last year or year before, they were involved with Crossland Motorsports out of Oklahoma, uh, the team that Guy Cooper was team manager for. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they had an 18-wheeler sitting around. I don't know. Uh, nevertheless. it's tough.
1: We got an extra one here. Take it.
0: Well, that'd be a good deal to have. I wish I'm we could liking get it. Deal. I mean, I'd, I'd like to get a bike. I'm ready. <laughs> so uh, Malcolm will be out this year. Still no word on what James will be doing. In fact, in the interview, Malcolm said, I don't know what James is doing. You could see him, you know, probably on the East Coast races he might show up. Maybe by Dallas he could show up. But he basically said, yeah, I have took all of the Suzuki stuff that we had, so he's got nothing, so he's going to have to find a bike. <laughs> so, <laughs> Brotherly love. Yeah, absolutely. He's like, I just want to go race. So uh, it'll be interesting. And I, and I think getting Malcolm out there, and, and hopefully he can make a good showing. Now, I, perhaps he was being a little humble or uh holding his cards close to the vest and what he was saying about the no testing and the no you know not having the suspension set up and and all that because you know you'd hate to see a guy like that come out and then not even qualify for the night show but uh surely somebody's going to be there to help him out and uh he's a good enough rider that he'll get dialed in and
1: i'm thinking that they've got that covered i think that was just nice guys being nice yeah
0: well, it's a good thing, and I think it's good to get uh, get another great writer out there, another big personality, uh, which will be fun. And that will be a, the big story over the weekend and everything and, uh, of Malcolm's return. And, you know, it would be great to see him come out and, and mix it up in the top ten. And, you know, who knows what will happen. So
1: I always like to see privateer teams do well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that would be really cool as well because you've got uh, – um, I mean what would that do for the sport if if Malcolm and James Stewart come out with a, a privateer effort? Now obviously they, they function on a little bit different level level. Um but if they came out without any, you know, real factory support and kind of put their own things together.
1: In the past, successful privateer teams have always made the sport better. Yeah. Uh it doesn't matter. If motocross, road race, dirt track, whatever. Uh a really good privateer team always makes the sport better period
0: well i think it'll be great to uh great to see and uh again 2017 monster energy supercross is uh, living up to the hype i think it's going to be a lot of fun
1: yeah we thought it would be interesting and it's lived up to all of our expectations and my hat's off to anybody that tries to put together a, a privateer program because the cost of of racing at that level now is astronomical yeah and the amount of money that it takes, and the time that is put into finding sponsors and working with sponsors, and I've worked with I've worked with sponsors not at that level, but a pretty big level, and that's time-consuming. A, a lot of time and a lot of effort is involved with working with each individual sponsor. It's not like you can have a meeting and they all come. You have to take time out of out of your racing program and you have to work with these people and they have expectations. So anytime that a privateer team, because usually the rider and one other person has to deal with that, okay, and then they have to race, plus they have to do, they have to keep maintenance up on the motorcycles and they have to keep notes on what they're doing and they have to drive their own transports. They don't just get to fly from event to event. So anytime that a privateer team puts that kind of effort in and does well, It reflects well on everything about the sport.
0: Let me ask a question, uh, because you have you have raced and you've had uh, factory support in, in your racing endeavors and in, in the different classes that you've run. And, and I know that, you know, Supercross wasn't necessarily the thing that you've done, but you've done some motocross and um, obviously flat track racing and everything. But and I don't want the, the listeners that are, you know, really intense uh, about Supercross and, and know everything. I don't want you to think that I'm talking down to you, the listener. Uh, but I want to ask this question for maybe the people that are listening that are, are kind of new to the sport or may not have given a lot of thought. But when we talk about factory support and, and privateer efforts, and I mean, obviously, from a sponsorship level, we understand that there's different money levels involved. But I mean, what we're really talking about, a the Supercross bike that Ryan Dungey and Ken Roxon are riding on Saturday nights are not the bike that you go and buy off of your local Suzuki or KTM or Honda dealership showroom floor and take home and race out at your local track.
1: No, and a lot of the, a lot of the equipment that they run might be development equipment that the factory could be testing and designing and developing. It could be that those motor parts become part of a performance package that you get later. Um, a lot of the chassis that they run may not be production chassis. Um, I know that there are Certain times, if it's very stringent that they have to run an exact production chassis, that the production line that makes those chassis may use all the stock geometry and they use the stock material, but it's not robotically mass produced. They're a little, the quality of the chassis is clearly better when you see them side by side. The suspension that's being used is obviously for those riders and a person's not going to call up and just get the the suspension components that they're that they're running well, externally
0: aren't even really running suspension that came would come on a, a stock bike uh, anyway or a factory bike it's not even that i mean they're running showa and and other brands of suspension parts they are and a lot of the internal parts are not available to the
1: average even the average racer. They are special components that are made for that team. And again, it could be that they're testing for suspension upgrades that they're going to trickle down in technology to put on a production bike that they may foresee a couple of years down the line.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll get into, uh, we'll get Kerry Cannon in here from Cannon Racecraft and uh, get into some real deep suspension talk before long. But uh, from an engine standpoint, I mean, there, there's a lot. I mean, if you go out and you buy a a dirt bike from uh, the local dealership, I mean, those things have plenty of power. You get on them, and, I mean, you think you're you're really doing something. But, I mean, there's a lot of engine development work that goes into the factory-supported bikes, correct?
1: There's millions of dollars that go into those engine development programs. And another thing to consider is you may run one motor one weekend, and then that motor comes out and goes – back to wherever their technology center is okay and they'll have another motor to put in it and a lot of the other guys have a maintenance regiment but it's nothing compared to what the factory has yeah they have cylinder head technology that obviously isn't available to everybody now there is a lot of really good engine technology out there to be bought which is one of the reasons why I'm so impressed with a lot of the privateers is because they're competing with the factory on technology that isn't necessarily arguably as cutting edge as what the factory teams have. Yeah.
0: Now, do you think – I mean, privateers are still doing mods to to their bikes. They're not just Absolutely. running a stock bike out there.
1: No. And we can – we can just throw some companies out there. There could be suspension companies like possibly uh, Racetech or Pro Circuit, okay? Mm-hmm. And they obviously do extremely good work. We've used their products and services uh, in the past. And the for the money that you spend, it is second to none. But there's still a huge difference in when Pro Circuit run Honda, what Pro Circuit riders were riding and then the suspension technology that you can buy it's not the same you're not going to be able to buy the same technology that their racers
0: are are running with yeah well it's very interesting and it brings to mind i mean how interesting would it be to do a race um with all of those guys on a completely stock uh motocross bike yeah
1: i'm right there with you i'd like to see all of the top riders have to ride motorcycles out of the crate yeah you put them together out of the crate and that's how they are no pipes no port work no changing valve angles no trick valve jobs no one-off camshaft designs no now with fuel injection no exotic ecus and traction control and slipper clutches and
0: All of that stuff, all out the window. How great would it be to take the Monster Energy Cup for a million dollars and make all of – every rider have to be on a crate motorcycle. Now, obviously, they would run the regular manufacturers, and they – I mean, if, you know, Ryan Dungey's riding KTM, KTM gets him a motorcycle. But, you know, they have to go through a tech inspection or whatever to check everything and and make sure everything is stock. And they run that race for a million dollars on stock bikes. Yeah. How fun would
1: that be? That would be gobs of fun. <laughs> I'd like to see a whole series that way. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. The work stuff is great. And I don't think that you can have successful racing without work's efforts. Right. Okay. And there is a place for that. But outside of that, I think that the motorcycle technology is so advanced now that – we need to have more of what Road Racer calls supersport sport racing, mm-hmm. where they are true production motorcycles, and they're very, very limited as to the modifications that they can do to them, and
0: yeah. we race them. Yeah, and I'm not saying – I mean, obviously, motorsports is advanced, and, and really, the automotive industry is advanced by the, um, the things that come along, the technology uh, that is found through racing. I mean, that's been the way that it's been. I mean, that's why – people say you know race on sunday so win on sunday sell on monday uh, essentially but i just think it you know the disparity between the equipment of the top riders um in supercross can be so vast from a a factory honda effort to a uh certainly a privateer honda effort but even maybe you know i don't know how much the factory is helping like the geico honda team and that may not be the best example but you go back back to uh, uh, smart top motor moto concepts team they're probably not getting the same parts and pieces that ken roxon's getting with honda hrc even though they're riding the same brand um you know but if you put all of those guys on the same bikes now is Ken Roxon still one of the most talented riders out there? Absolutely. is he in better shape than probably everybody except maybe Ryan Dungey? Yeah, probably. but I would love to see uh, that take place on a track with with the bikes not being an issue and not being you know the million dollars that uh, Honda's putting into his bike versus the you know thirty thousand and I'm just throwing crazy numbers out here because I have no idea, but you, you get what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, we're back to it. I'm showing my age here, like the IROC series.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that's kind of what popped into my mind too. But that was, you know, kind of a one-off series using you know different champions from different things. But I I think doing the Monster Energy Cup um, on stock motorcycles would just be so cool, especially for that amount of money.
1: Oh yeah i I don't know why I don't know why in this day and time why something hasn't been done along those lines at all. It it eludes me as to why somebody hasn't done that if well, they're wanting to sell on Monday or in the motorcycle industry you know, on sell Tuesday. on Tuesday, right? <laughs> um, why they haven't done that? Uh, to my knowledge, the and they get almost no press. To my knowledge, the one area that that stands pretty true has been a lot of the off road endurance stuff. Yeah. Uh, And obviously, a lot of those motorcycles aren't on the ragged edge like a motocrosser because they have to have a lot of long-term endurance, right? Mm -hmm. But for the most part, a lot of those engines are pretty standard in the motorcycles, okay? And I would just think that by now in 2017 that they would have brought that into some kind of of series, a support series or a short race series of some kind or like you said – uh just a one-off just race. a one-off race yeah. where they're all production motorcycles
0: yeah i mean even doing uh, i don't know that straight rhythm would be the best situation for that uh you know i'd rather see them on a on a full racetrack
1: i tell you what i would like to see i would like to see the european format and i can already see eyes rolling right now because it seems like people just want to see like indoor supercross or something but my favorite motocross is outdoor timed events and growing when I was growing up, it was forty five minutes plus two laps, and you had two motos. You now the supercross
0: is timed now, right? Yeah, but <laughs> not like. And actually, that came into play uh, going back to the San Diego race. I mean, they ended up running like twenty four laps. Uh, it was one of the longest, well, certainly the longest supercross or San Diego supercrosses ever. Uh, but they uh, they had did twenty four laps in the four fifty class, so they you know they did their twenty minutes plus um, plus one
1: plus yeah. one lap. I, I like the the double moto, best of two motos, and I really missed the forty five minutes plus two laps. But I understand that across the board they shortened it because it helped with television coverage. Yeah,
0: well, and and you couldn't do a supercross show like that and may have it have this the, the great thing about supercross is the the event itself and that it's packed into you know you can go during the day and watch practice and do all of that stuff but i mean the night show is so incredible and it is it, it's done in three hours give well, or take well, sure. or a couple of minutes maybe yeah and that doesn't happen very often i mean it's a tight show it's entertaining it's action-packed and uh you know and it's great for tv and if you haven't watched Supercross turn it on well
1: you know it's it's conception was is that it was even though outside the it got difficult to put people to where they could see the racetrack but arena cross and supercross was to bring outdoor motocross inside where you could see all of it instead of having to pick a section and walk over to another section and the formula obviously has been a huge success yeah but i still just like the the fim style outdoor timed two moto deal
0: well yeah even a outdoor you know lucas oil pro motocross ama pro motocross outdoor is it's it's a completely different animal and i mean you look at tracks like Glen helen and and some of those um saddleback and mammoth mountain yeah the i mean the classics that have been there and have the the giant hill i mean you think of that hill at Glen helen and and they, where they make the that downhill up. at carlsbad yeah and, so, I mean, those are just uh, something completely different, and I mean, those are you know diehard motocross fans uh, love that stuff, and I mean, I've I've been to Glen Helen, and it's such a cool place. But yeah, I mean, you can't see everything that's going on, or if you were there when like when I was, and I was. working i was stuck inside an rv uh (laughs) listening to the race on the head the the director called the race on the headphones and everything while i was taking notes but that's a whole other story
1: (laughs) but the outdoor outdoor motocross unless i guess you watch it on television does have some some downfalls because basically you're going to have a lot of walking and you're going to have you can only see small sections of the track
0: yeah supercross is definitely better from a spectator standpoint Sure,
1: and that formula has been hugely successful, and yeah. I don't have anything against it. It's just if it comes down to preference, I like the outdoor stuff better, and I I like the timed events. Yeah.
0: Speaking of your preferences, we'll move on from Supercross now. Are we Are we rated for my preferences? <laughs> uh, based on your some of your Facebook posts, I don't know that we are, but <laughs> nevertheless, uh, you are a big fan. Uh, of the Isle of Man TT and uh, one of your favorite riders who was – there had been some talk about possibly him retiring, but not only did he not retire and will be coming back to Isle of Man, he's with a brand new team. Yeah. uh, We're talking about – well, two of my favorite
1: riders, uh, Guy Martin and John McGinnis. Yeah. And they're going to be riding for Honda this year. and. They're going to be teamed up at the Isle of Man, but they're also going to be teamed up for the Dutch TT and the Northwest and all of the – what is called TT racing over there. Not the same as TT Scrambles here, but what a lot of diehard guys call real road racing, yeah. street racing. Yeah. It's just – it's insane.
0: It is insane. I mean, it's so fun to to watch and to see videos from over there, um, but, man – That is – I can't imagine – well, I can kind of imagine doing it uh, until something goes wrong, and then I don't want to imagine uh, what happens at that point.
1: Yeah, when stuff goes wrong, it goes wrong really, really bad.
0: I mean, we're talking about close to 200 miles an hour, over 200 miles an hour on farm roads in Europe with – you know, wooden fences on both sides or trees on both sides. Cobblestone walls. Yeah. And, and, you know, running through an intersection. Of course, they have it blocked off. There's hopefully not a car coming. But, you know, having to make 90 degree turns at some points. And uh, it's just an incredible form of racing that, you know, unfortunately, we don't get to see much of here in the United States. but You know, we don't at
1: all. And it seems like a lot of other countries around the world have. Even Macau, look at that. They've got street racing there. Uh, they've got a uh, superbike race, you know, in downtown Macau. But in the United States, it's all special prepared, you know, like billiard table smooth, right. special courses. And I've always just liked the TT, ra- European TT racing. Yeah. With running uh like you said close to 200 mile an hour like on the on the downside of the mountain on isle of man and across the tram crossing down the mountain and up the mountain on the bigger bikes on the leader bikes they'll approach 200 miles an hour and some of the smooth short sprints between the towns they'll run that fast but to see a bike that runs in excess of a 135 or 40 miles an hour and they hit a rise in the road and the motorcycle leaves the ground four foot right yeah. and when it lands it looks like a walleye on the end of your fishing rod yeah it worms and squirms
0: if you haven't watched the uh, there's a documentary and it's available on netflix right now and it's called road oh about i'm looking at you because about
1: the isle of man
0: stuff yeah about the uh, the dunlop family
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's called Road.
0: Uh Okay, because I was getting confused because there's some other motorcycle documentaries that follow MotoGP that are called Speed or Faster or something like that. But Road is the one that's a documentary on the Dunlop family who um, were really quintessential Isle of Man racers, and there there were two brothers that started racing in the 60s, I think, and then their sons. Um, race race now. now, and I mean one of the one of the brothers, the 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 first started racing, ended up getting killed, and then uh, Joey Donlop, yeah, died later uh, at the
1: Dutch TT. Yeah, that's right, and he ma- he had made
0: like a return.
1: He and did make a return, yeah. and he made huge strides in TT racing. Yeah,
0: nevertheless, if you have not watched that movie, go. Get it. Um, watch it on Netflix. If you have Netflix, then it's free, uh, except for what you're paying for Netflix, but that's a whole other thing. But watch <laughs> the movie Road because it is uh, a really well done documentary. There's some incredible footage from the Isle of Man, and unfortunately, the heartbreak that comes along with uh, the loss of a racer um, and, and some of the. I mean, but it really shows the. Uh, the drama involved with that particular form of motorsports that I don't think we get in what we're used to now. We've got a, I mean, we've seen racers get hurt and and killed, and that happens from time to time. And we've talked about it before, and um, it's always a great loss. But that particular form of racing, those guys are putting their life on the line, unlike anybody else in motorsports in in this century uh, or this uh, decade or what am i trying to say <laughs> the 21st century i mean it's it's just it's just really really crazy and the amount of
1: exposure that they get here is is very limited however what a lot of people don't realize is that as big as the factories are into superbike racing in the united states or if they watch world superbike there's also just as much effort being put in by factories into the tt
0: style of racing yeah and we see a lot of brands competing over there that we don't see here i mean norton is very involved in um the tt racing over there and i mean you don't you can't even get a norton motorcycle in the united states but i mean so you see some other really cool motorcycles um but you know different kinds of personalities and uh some incredible racing incredible footage you can find video on on youtube they put all kinds of stuff on there um you but put
1: Isle of Man crazy. Racing in on YouTube, and you can watch for months.
0: Yeah, you really can. So, uh, But get the movie. It's called Road, and it tells the story of the Dunlop family and the Isle of Man TT, which is really cool. So one last tidbit of information uh, that I have for you on this show, and, and not really even that I have for you, but it's just something that that I saw the other day that I wanted to bring up to you, Eric. I saw we've talked before about um, women and motorcycles, and you know uh, we've talked with Monty from uh, Iron Nation Harley Davidson. Now he's moved over to Harley World. Mm-hmm. Uh, in case you're looking for him out there anywhere. And uh, we've talked about, you know, selling to women and, and and women, you know, looking for different sizes and shapes of motorcycles and, and how you, you know, approach that differently from a sales standpoint. I think I've seen the first motorcycle commercial specifically targeted towards the female rider. I, I don't know that I've ever seen one before, but just the other night I saw one, and it's Suzuki. And they're marketing, I think, the SVE 650, and their commercial is targeted specifically to female riders. It has a, uh, you know, there there have been some commercials that may show a woman like riding a Harley every now and then, but I mean, this one was, I mean, the tone of it, it was all, you know, a female rider on the bike the whole time. Um, I think it even talked about, you know, the female rider in, in some capacity or, you know, finding, I, I don't remember the verbiage of the commercial, but I found it really interesting given what we've talked about before that Suzuki is really kind of stepping out there and really targeting the female rider to sell their bike. Well, I hope that they continue
1: with that. That is a huge market area that has never been widely marketed at all. I thought
0: you said you didn't think women could ride motorcycles. No, I would never say that. (laughs) Actually,
1: to be honest, women customers, believe it or not, are easy to deal with. And I know guys out there have just fallen out of their chairs and spilled their beer, but (laughs) – Here's the deal. If you go with your girlfriend or your wife shopping as indecisive as they are to buy shoes, they are totally opposite when it comes to motorcycles, Uh, comes to helmets or jackets or whatever. It seems like the guys are the ones that have issues with making up their mind. Usually when women come in, they already know what they want. They know what they're after. And they're really easy to deal with. But for some reason, the motorcycle industry has never taken the time or a major effort to get into that niche market.
0: Yeah. Well, and do you think – I mean, obviously, there's been female riders for longer – I mean, a long time. As long as there's been motorcycles, yeah. But, I mean, they they haven't really been – uh, maybe not as as many, it's not as prolifer- proliferated as it is now, um, or is that just by imagination?
1: No, for a long time, the amount of women that rode was pretty low, and it was – I don't know why it was frowned upon, but but I remember growing up – Well, they also uh,
0: used to not let them vote, so.
1: Well, that's true, too, and that's a whole other show, right? But <laughs> the – You know, growing up, I used to see what they called a powder puff class, which was like all women classes, and which has kind of gone by the wayside now. And you know, some people think that that's not a good thing that 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 has gone away. But I actually think it's guys that are just don't want to get beat by girls. But I think that to have guys and girls race together is fine. Anyway, having said that, I just remember when there was a powder puff class and the attendance. Rivaled any other class with the females yeah
0: well, and i I know that it'd be interesting to get a woman in here and have this conversation, um, and maybe even a, a woman racer. Um, we'll see if we can do that. But the I mean, there, there's something that is perhaps derogatory about the name powder puff class. I mean, I, I personally think it's fine. I don't I'm think guy, there's so. anything wrong with it, but I'm but, a guy. So what do I know? Right, right, Exactly. I mean, we're not the ones to be making that decision. Any woman that's listening to the show right now is going now. Well, they're I, can't, angry. I can't repeat what they're probably saying to us right now, yelling at their iPhone that they're listening on. They're not picketing out front again. <laughs> right. I hope not. Uh, but the the powder puff class, again, used to be a, a an important part of a racing program. Sure. Uh, and, and maybe it wouldn't happen every week, but it, when it did happen, it was a big deal. And I think that introduced racing to a lot of women that otherwise might not have gotten involved. I think it gave them the opportunity and kind of, well, you hate to say it, I mean, certainly in a different generation, the permission to get out on a racetrack um, and and I did my fingers in air quotes there because I mean I don't you know I, I, that may just be a, a, a speculative type of thing, but I, I think there, that there was a time when women wouldn't step out there and do that, or or a lot of women wouldn't step out out there and do that because they didn't think they. You know, would like it, or they didn't want to go out there and you know have their husband or boyfriend telling them, you know, oh well, here's how you need to do it or something like that. I mean, obviously you have the or it wasn't ladylike, the, right? It wasn't ladylike. But then they got out there and they're like, oh my gosh, this is the most fun thing ever. And then they got involved in racing on a regular basis and and became you know good or, or successful. And uh, you know, you obviously have your barrier breakers. You have you know Shirley Muldowney. You have um. Angel well i mean Angel came a little later on why, why did i uh Lynn St James Lynn St James <laughs> uh, is another one yeah and uh and i mean you'd think about you go back earlier in in HRA Shirley shahan mm-hmm. uh was one of the first women to to start drag racing in the stock and super stock categories and uh I think in Indy you might have had Janet Guthrie Yeah Janet Guthrie um so, you know, there have been the women that have been the barrier breakers, but on the local level, you know, the average everyday, just like the average everyday guy was going out and trying to race on Friday or Saturday night. I mean, this gave the opportunity to the average everyday girl to get out and get behind the wheel and, and maybe try it for the first time driving, you know, a borrowed car or something like that, and then they ultimately – Decided, hey, this is fun, and I can do this, and I'm good, and more importantly, I really enjoy it, so I'm going to get my own car, or you know, I want my husband to build me a car, or I'm going to build my own car uh, and do something that I never dreamed that I could do before. Um, now, we don't see that happen. We don't see a powder puff class. We do see more women involved in sports sports racing against and certainly in motorsports. I mean, I think motorsports is probably one of the only forms of sports where you see men and women competing equally matched Yeah, uh, and, the amount and of- have champions. I mean, you think about Angel Sampei, Erica Enders, yeah. um, Shirley Muldowney, uh, you, you know, the force girls that are now racing. Um, but I mean, you know, the, the previous three all have NHRA championships um, and, and you have Danica Patrick now in, in NASCAR. Uh, you got Corey Weller in Trophy Trucks. Okay. Who
1: is an outstanding driver.
0: Yeah. Um, Vicky Golden, who's riding Supercross, who was the first woman to qualify for a night show in Supercross and did that last year. Now, I haven't seen... Um, her, I don't even know if she's been at a race. Now I think she ran the East 250 series last year, so maybe we'll see her later on this year. But uh, you know, there's an entire women's motocross series, and and now we're starting to see uh, women coming into uh, Supercross, and actually, I just saw an interview today with a young lady that was riding the uh, the Arena Cross series that they interviewed. So um, we're seeing more women get involved in in motocross and supercross coming out and riding with with the guys as well. and and hopefully we'll see some breakthroughs there as well. I mean, I'd love to see Vicki Golden you know qualify for a main event in uh, this year if she's going to be riding. and uh, I think that would be fantastic. I do,
1: too. And one thing I can tell you is whenever female customers come in with their boyfriends or husbands, one of the first complaints they have is they're tired of waiting on the husband and they're tired (laughs) of waiting on the boyfriend.
0: Well, there you go. Well, so, uh, ladies, you can email us powersportspodcast at gmail.com or please go like our Facebook page. Um, We post all the shows on the Facebook page. We put other news there. We share a lot of stuff from a lot of the other uh, industry um, websites and magazines and things that are reporting news that get to it a, a lot quicker than we do, and we ultimately get to talk about it here. But um, if we see a news story, we try to repost it on the Facebook page. So you can find us, facebook.com slash Podcast, or you can go like the page from the Oklahoma Talking Co. website, and that's where we'd like you to go listen to the shows, at oklahomatalking.co. You can also listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio as well. And then we also have a YouTube channel and we'll be posting episodes there and uh, we do videos from time to time and maybe coming soon, if I can get my act together, we'll start doing uh, actually putting a camera up for this deal and then everybody can see how pretty you are. There you go. I'm not sure the sensors are ready for that. <laughs> we, uh, we appreciate you uh, listening to the Power Sports Podcast. Uh, get out, and if it's a great weekend, um, go out and do some riding, whatever it may be, but get on two wheels and go have some fun. Uh, for Eric Colvin, I'm Jason Baffrey. We're the Power Sports Podcast, and we are out of here.